baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday, September 10th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to Melissa Bryant of IAVA about the latest and greatest things that they have going on in regards to legislation involving veterans of specifically those of the post 9-11 era, but really all veterans will be affected by some of the things that they have going on right now. Then we're also going to talk to General David Blackledge of Melwood Veterans Services. They've got some really wonderful programs out there that are working to help veterans heal holistically. Now, you hear the word holistic and you may think of, I don't know, some hippie out there waving stones above your head and burning sage but that's not what melwood veterans uh services are doing out there with their programs we're going to talk to general blackledge about that a little bit later in the show but first we're going to welcome super producer jake hughes to the monday edition jake good morning how are you today i'm doing especially fantastic today eric because i don't know about you but here in nation's capital washington dc i am loving this weather it's been about six, mid to upper 60s the past two days and mm. i love it it's been uh, very rainy, I'll say that. That too. Yeah, and today, that rain, uh, at least in some manner, seems to have affected the traffic lights, which led to me <laughs> sitting at traffic lights, leaning on my horn, going, go, it's not going to change. When you're sitting there and you see at a, at a four-way intersection, each part of the intersection at a red light for well over a minute, and you're looking at the little countdown on the crosswalk, and that's just going back and forth and back and forth it's it's upsetting when the people in front of you are just like no i guess i'll just wait here uh, as long as i need to wait here yeah it was one of those things but as you said it has been uh what is going on with this computer it has been a little bit cooler than in recent days which i think isn't a bad thing i've actually enjoyed the coolness over the last couple of days (laughs) that's certainly been nice we did a uh, a stay in weekend essentially My family went to Dave and Buster's yesterday and played some games because it was raining. It's also in a mall where we had to uh, get a couple of things before my wife went on yet another business trip. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been a little bit cooler after these hot, hot months. It's kind of nice, although I think it's supposed to warm up a little bit tomorrow, the next day, things like that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. But. What we do know is going to happen is we've got a fantastic week of shows ahead for people. We've got General Blackledge coming up later on today, a little bit later in the week. I think tomorrow we're going to play an interview with Lex McMahon. Lex McMahon is the son of Ed McMahon. That, of course, is... Yeah, there you go. Johnny Carson's sidekick on The Tonight Show, who is a Marine Corps colonel. Well, Lex is also a Marine Corps veteran told me some really fascinating stories in a conversation that we recorded about his dad. Of course, uh, Ed McMahon adopted Lex McMahon uh, that involved the Marine Corps, that involves uh, Ed's death, and Lex McMahon's current job as Chief Operating Officer of Titan Fighting Championships. How did he go from the Marine Corps to Chief Operating Officer of a major company? Well, it has to do with his dad, Ed McMahon, and MC Hammer. Huh. Yeah. 
We'll find out about exactly what that means a little bit later on in the week. Of course, MC Hammer was a Navy veteran. Did you know that, Jake? I did not know that. He was. And in fact, he did a record release party back in 2001-ish, 2000, 2001. Now, I guess it would have been 2001 or 2002 at the Navy Exchange in Norfolk, Virginia. And I happened to be part of that party, not because I was planning on it, but because I had to go shopping at the exchange. And I was like, <laughs> wait a second, is that MC Hammer sitting over there? Indeed, it was. So we're going to talk to Lex about that and a whole bunch of other fantastic interviews that we've got planned for this week. And of course, we'll be taking a look around the headlines as they affect the United States military and, of course, the veteran community. Jake, wanted to get your thoughts on this. There's a bipartisan group urging the VA to lift a ban on gender reassignment surgeries. This, of course, is uh, for transgender folks to actually go through a surgery that makes them the gender that they feel they are, I suppose, is the way that you should put it. But a bipartisan group of 84 lawmakers calling on the VA to end that man. And here's a quote from a letter that this group wrote to Secretary Robert Wilkie at the VA on Friday. It is wrong to single out any group of veterans to deny access to medically necessary care. The argument I've seen against that is this isn't medically necessary. It's a choice. It's not saving your life. Again, we can talk about the risk of suicide and things like that. But as far as the actual surgery, it's not actually affecting your physical health. It's, some people would say, a cosmetic choice. Where do you fall on this? I fall on the concept of it is an elective, a lot like when I had laser eye surgery done. Mm. So if the VA will pay for elective surgeries for some people, then it should have paid for elective surgeries for all people. However, I highly disagree about that it is a medically necessary procedure. You, you don't like the terminology that's used in the right. letter, essentially. And and I would have to agree with that. Medically necessary, uh, you know, you, you can think so, I guess. But in, in reality, there's it's not a life or death situation, uh, medically speaking. Mentally speaking, that's a whole other story. And you'd have to delve into uh, the suicide rates and whether they actually are decreased by gender reassignment surgeries and a whole bunch of other things on there. But the VA's had a moratorium on certain gender alterations since 1999. The dozens of signatories say that the practice is based on antiquated and discriminatory claims and that the treatments may lead to suicidal thoughts. Again, something that may lead to something that's, that's again, suicidal thoughts. Is that a medical issue? I think that's the problem that some people have with it. Um, the VA admits the, their exclusion of these procedures is based on a disproved assumption the treatments were not medically necessary. I don't know about that. Again, I'm not a doctor. That's for the VA to decide. But, you know, if the VA is not giving dental care to 99% of veterans who get out, uh, but gender reassignment surgery is something that's medically necessary, dental care isn't, I don't know about that, you know? It's yeah, just one of those things. It, it seems that they're going around their, their, out of their way to paint this as anything other than a mental health issue. The letter is spearheaded by Representative Julia Brownlee. And again, 84 uh, representatives on both sides of the aisle have signed on to this. Both the American Medical Association and American Psychiatric Su Association support gender reassignment surgeries as a valid treatment. Valid treatment, medically necessary treatment. Th those are two different exactly. things. And as Jake was saying, if you allow elective surgery for one person, then you have to allow it for all people. 
if that's what you're framing that as, then I don't think people are going to argue too much yeah, against but it. It's medically I don't know. necessary. I don't know. Things. Will the VA do laser corrective surgery for anyone who wants it? I don't know. If they if they do, then I say they have to allow this. If they don't, then it falls into the same category. Yeah, it's very interesting. Charlotte Clymer, a spokeswoman for the Human Rights Campaign, said supporting veterans is one of our government's most sacred obligations, regardless of their gender identity. And I would agree with that. I'm just, you know, there there are there's just a discussion over this, and and I think if you frame things, I don't know. It seems more directly for me. That's something that I'm more okay with. Um, again, it's just the terminology here. Medically necessary. I, I don't know about that. And when you look at the uh, suicide rates, that's something that they have to uh, to check into. Some people say that it reduces the suicide rate. Some people say it doesn't. There are different statistics that seem to bear out both. You can find out more about that story. And, of course, view the actual letter by visiting ConnectingVets.com. It's right there on the homepage, an article by our Matt Saintsing. And, of course, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Have you heard about Florence, Jake? Florence, Italy? No, Florence the Hurricane. It looks like it's coming towards the East Coast. Oh. As it stands right now, what I was seeing from the projections, it looks like it'll hit the Mid-Atlantic a little bit south of where we are. We would be affected by it, but it's most likely to hit the Carolinas and Virginia, of course, the world's largest naval base is located in Virginia, Norfolk Naval Station. You've also got Joint Amphibious Base Little Creek and other, other things over there. Well, it looks like Florence is back up to hurricane status, and the Atlantic Fleet is ordering all ships in the area of Norfolk to be ready to set sortie condition Bravo. That is when the ships all go out to sea because you're safer at sea than you are sitting at the pier. Hurricane can push an aircraft carrier into the pier, Hurricane's not going to sink an aircraft carrier unless it's something the likes of which we've never actually seen before. So each and every Navy vessel could be on its way out into the Atlantic due to this storm. Of course, that affects the whole area. I mean, the, the naval installations there are incredibly important to the economy. You've got tons of families. You've got veterans that work there as well. One of those things that uh, it, it happens just about every couple of years, I would say, where they move the whole fleet out there. Something certainly to keep an eye on. And if you're one of those vets and military members that lives on the Atlantic coast, uh, anywhere from, at this point, it's looking like Maryland down to North Florida, you're going to want to keep an eye on this storm as it comes through. Speaking of North Florida, it's been another problem with the Navy down there, Jake. An invasion, some might say. Uh-oh. Not our Navy, though. The British Navy. What? Britain's first, or newest, I should say, aircraft carrier, HMS Queen Elizabeth, arrived in Jacksonville Beach. Naval Station Mayport is where you have, uh, and again, another major installation. A lot more business came in with that whole crew of the 65,000-ton aircraft carrier came into port, and six of them were arrested because they were beating each other up out in town and urinating publicly and doing things like that. I don't know what it is about sailors and port calls. I mean, I wasn't one myself, but there seem to have been some significant issues down at Jacksonville Beach where uh, Keith Doherty tells military or the Florida Times Union, he's a general manager at Lynch's Irish Pub in Jacksonville Beach, said, I like this quote, I think we need a modern day Paul Revere to let us know that the British are coming. <laughs> I know a lot of places were understaffed and that caused a lot of issues. Mayport is not Naval Station uh, Norfolk, essentially. You had 
the Kennedy down there for many years was an aircraft carrier, and then a lot of small boys, smaller ships, and then there's subs up the road at Kings Bay, Georgia. No massive nuclear aircraft carriers in Jacksonville for the Navy. So then one of these British one comes in, and you add, I don't know, 7,000 people or so to the mix, and apparently Jacksonville was not prepared for it. So there were uh, quite a few issues going on there. Again, public urination, uh, fights, assaults. We have six members of that ship's crew being arrested, which, again, when you consider that there's 6,000-plus people on an aircraft carrier like that, a small number. I mean, any given weekend in a town of 6,000 people, you're going to have six people get arrested. So not a huge story in and of itself, but it's also a foreign Navy coming to one of our ports and having this happen. So it kind of sticks out. You know, we've talked about it on the show, Jake, right? What makes the news? Uh, all the bad stuff. Yeah. If if a ship pulls in and everybody does what they're supposed to do, we never would have known that the HMS Queen Elizabeth was in Jacksonville. People start peeing on stuff and beating each other up. All of a sudden, you know exactly that it was there, you know how big it was and what was going on down there. In New Jersey, we have a veteran making news again for all the wrong reasons. She was a security forces member of the Air Force. She's from my home state of Connecticut. Her name is Shade Cooper, 28 years old. She was involved in a December 2015 crash after she was involved in a high-speed pursuit. She was in a car with her estranged husband. Uh, She was in a car chasing her estranged husband and another woman crashed into someone and it uh, ended up leading to some deaths, uh, including her her, um, estranged husband, I should say. So uh, she has now been sentenced to 10 years in prison. Again, this is another example of Veterans are not perfect. Nope. <laughs> not by a long stretch. There are a lot of us out there doing things that we're not supposed to do. This seems to be a domestic incident where uh, there was uh, you know, allegations of infidelity. Husband's in a car with a woman. She's chasing that car at a high speed, ends up leading to a crash. And there you go. I mean, that's the kind of thing that can happen when you don't do the right thing. You should do the right thing. And that means, well, looking around seeing what needs to be done. And as we mentioned last week, it looks like some people in Ohio are doing the right thing, Jake. Again, Montgomery County, Ohio, has been able to do something the Department of Veterans Affairs has been unable to accomplish over the last 10 months. They're giving people VA similar ID cards, veteran ID cards in Montgomery County, and the turnaround is like right then, when you get there. You bring your DD-214, to the county recorder's office between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m., you're going to be able to get a veteran ID. Why do you think it is that Montgomery County, Ohio, is able to do this on such short turnaround, Jake, while the VA, after 10 months, has only given out 33%, give or take, of the ID cards that were uh, requested? Most likely it has something to do with the fact that they're a smaller organization and that this, so it's simpler. So they just have to order a couple of card makers and have some people say, here it is, and then you can just print it out. With the VA, it's got to be a process. it got to make a contract. they got to do all this stuff, and it's ridiculous. And you are right about the smaller population. Montgomery County, Ohio, as of the 2010 census, had 535,153 people in it. It's a good amount of people. It includes the city of Dayton, which is a major city out there in Ohio. It's the fifth largest county in Ohio. 
that's a lot fewer people than the VA has to deal with. And then you take the percentage of veterans, it's probably going to be 10% or so. So you're talking 50,000 people. Still, the quick turnaround is something that you would hope the VA would be able to figure out or at least improve on. We're almost a year into this process. Almost a year. It was last October or November when they started allowing people to put in for those ID cards. We've talked to Joe Chanelli from AMVETS. He filled out his application the night that it became available. Very quietly available. No big announcements because they knew that there were going to be some problems, I think, is what we've been able to draw from that. He still hasn't gotten his. Did you put in for one of those ID cards? Nope, I don't need one. Yeah. That's the other thing. If you live in a state where they're able to put or they do put veteran status on your driver's license, that's much more valuable than the actual VA ID card. In Maryland, where I live, they do it, but you have to bring your DD-214 down and get that done. I didn't have mine with me, and if I don't have to go to the DMV or MVA, as it's called in Maryland... I'm not going to. Do you have it on your license from down in Texas? Uh, I have a Virginia license. Oh, yes, that's right. Does. You moved yours. So you do have the veteran thing listed on your license. Yep. So, yeah, this is kind of a redundant thing. There are states where they don't do that. That's where it could be a little bit more valuable. But even so, this isn't something that's going to get you medical treatment or benefits or something like that. This is for pancakes, as Jake likes to point yep. out, and things like that just to prove that you're a veteran, to be able to receive discounts and other such things like that. Do you think it was even worth it for the VA to try this program? I don't think so. I mean, I, it's good for people to be able to identify the fact that they're a veteran, but even though it, even then, like, it, what's the, why? Like, okay, yeah, you can get your free pancakes, but all you have to do is have a copy of your DD-214 for that. And again, something like this is like, uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I just, I don't think it was worth it for the VA. It seems to me like they set themselves up for failure. They should have known that they were going to have problems. I knew when they announced <laughs> this and it came out and we had people coming in like, oh yeah, I put in my, for my VA ID card. You went and looked in the website and it could say, and it's, it didn't say like you would get your ID card in up to 90 days. It didn't put a limit on you getting it. It was saying you could get it as soon as 30 days from now. Okay, as soon as 30 days, how about as late as? What's the latest I'm going to get it? Well, apparently September 2018 is not on that list because so far <laughs> only one-third of those who put in the request have gotten it. Jake, we have a poll up on ConnectingVets.com. And people, if you're not clicking on ConnectingVets.com 40, 50 times a week, I think personally that you're making a, a horrible mistake. And if you're not following us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets, uh, you're doubling that mistake. Would you agree? I absolutely tripling it to nothing else. There you go. Jake Hughes has just told you. He just laid it down for you. And come on, he was a drill sergeant in the Army. He knows what's going on there. The poll is what's the coolest military vehicle? This and poll. I, yeah, I know you're I have a problem. I have, a, I have many problems with this video, uh, vi video blah, with this poll. They are not including. Many of the coolest vehicles on there. In fact, they're not including any Navy vehicles on there at all. All we've got is it looks like uh, Army and a couple of uh, maybe a couple that the Marine Corps use as well. And one that's uh, a European one as well. But it's missing the single coolest vehicle in the history of the United States military, the M1A2 set version 2 main battle tank. Well, they've got the M2, M3 Bradley fighting vehicle. Oh, they've got the Bradleys. They've got the Humvee, which uh, considering what's happened over the last 17 years or so, and while the Humvee is 
essentially only authorized for use within CONUS and not outside the wire in places of uh, of ill repute like Afghanistan and Iraq. I don't know if I would put that one on there. Uh, the MRAP is not on there. How are you going to put the, uh, the Humvee on there when the MRAP, which has saved countless lives, replaced it? I disagree with that one. Um, the Hercules recovery vehicle, what's that? It's the M88. It's what they use to uh, tow tanks. Oh, so it's a tow truck. Yeah, pretty much. So we've got a tow truck. What's the LTA TV? Uh, I don't know. I think it's a Marine Corps one. Okay, let's look up LTA TV. I want to. I want to find this one on. Oh, oh, oh! Come on. Yeah, computer's freezing up on me now. I can't look at anything. Oh, geez. So you've got a tow truck on there. You've got the Humvee. You don't have the LCAC. Do you know what an LCAC is? Jake? No. What is an LCAC? It's a Navy vehicle. It's called the Landing Craft Air Cushion. It's a hovercraft, and we use it to bring tanks and marines to the shore from out in the middle of the ocean. How is that not on there? That's a good point. Where is that one? <laughs> not on that list. I got I to gotta call out Connecting Vets for this one. So you've got the LTATV, which I'm trying to look up right now. Okay, let's see. LTATV. I'm not even familiar with it. Oh, yeah, oh, that- oh, I know what it is. This is like the mule that that when I was at Don Shipley's farm, I was driving uh, the the goose decoys out to the field in. It's like a little a uh, little little truck that you could get, a little a uh, little four wheel drive vehicle, like a little uh, I don't yeah. know what the term I'm looking uh, for. Joshua is. Dominic Prado just brought up a good point. There's no aircraft on that list. There aren't any aircraft, but I, I think they were trying to stick to ground vehicles because yeah, the aircraft are. I mean, planes are cooler than cars. It's basically what yeah. it is. But the LCAC man. It flow. It goes on the water. It brings Marines and tanks on board and drops them off. You know how you watch Saving Private Ryan and they had the amphibious landing vehicles, which also are pretty darn cool. They're boats that literally come up onto the beach. This is a hovercraft. <laughs> this is a futuristic vehicle that we have been using for decades in the military, and it's not included there. Here's another one that the Navy uses, particularly our Special Operations Forces, and I think Green Berets and Rangers have used it as well, the DPV. The Desert Patrol Vehicle. It's a dune buggy with grenade launchers and a 50 cal. It goes at like 80 miles an hour in the sand. That one's not on the list. Vehicle mounted mounted. Navy Swick boats are pretty cool. Well, again, I think we're sticking with vehicles that can be counted like with with with, that you're going to use on land because an aircraft carrier is is a cooler vehicle than anything on this list by far. The the Harrier jump jet that the Marine Corps uses cooler than anything on this list by far. If we're sticking to, you know, the vehicles as we think about them, cars and trucks, the hovercraft counts, man. The hovercraft counts. The Desert Patrol vehicle certainly counts. They do have the Volkswagen Schwimmwagen on there, which is an amphibious vehicle. Still, not as cool as the LCAC, the Landing Craft Air Cushion. It's a hover. It's like, it's back to the future, but it's been happening for 30 years. We've been using it. (laughs) Nobody knows about it, apparently. You didn't even know about it. Uh, The Bradley Fighting Vehicle, pretty darn cool. Uh, a, the recovery vehicle, a tank tow truck. I mean, I guess I, I see giant tow trucks that pull semis out on the highway. I don't think of that as like a particularly awesome vehicle. The Humvee, no, no, that should not be on there. No. Nope. Arnold Schwarzenegger was driving a Humvee around Los Angeles in like 1990. It, it, it's not cool. It's a gas guzzler, and it's also something that turned out was not a very good vehicle, even the up-armored version for military operations. Yeah, you hit 55 miles an hour in that thing if you're able to and you feel like you're re-entering the atmosphere. Yeah, I put the MRAP on there certainly before the Humvee, uh, particularly because of uh, what it's been able to accomplish. The fact that they designed this thing out in Wisconsin, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, we talked about it with the senator when she was in here, 
that thing has saved countless lives. The Humvee, I mean, for a while it was a cool vehicle. Then you realize, "Mm, maybe not so cool for military purposes. I just think there are better options. No one consulted me on this list of what's the coolest military vehicle. The LCAC would be up there. And, of course, the tank that Jake was in, your main battle tank, the M1 Abrams. That one would have been on there for him. Eh, You know, it's just one of those things. But you can go and choose from the list. Volkswagen Schwimmwagen, the LTATV, which, again, is like a little ATV. Vehicle-mounted mine detection system. That's not even a vehicle. That's something you put onto a vehicle. Ah, jeez. The M2, M3 Bradley fighting vehicle, the Humvee, and the M88 Hercules recovery vehicle. Uh, Again, Jake and I, we're going to have to put out our own. What's the real coolest vehicle in the military pool going out there? Well, you're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we're doing. And you, if you don't believe us, go check out ConnectingVets.com. As many times as you can, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Fantastic show coming up on the rest of the day. Jake is going to sit down with IAVA to talk about the latest and greatest things with Melissa Bryant from that organization. We're also going to have retired General David Blackledge of Melwood Veteran Services, an organization that's doing these holistic events to try and help veterans uh, succeed after they get out, deal with some of the struggles that we have, and get themselves in the right mental place as they move into civilian society and continue on in it. It's not just for people who are just getting out. We're going to talk to him about that coming up, and of course, IAVA as well, and a whole wonderful week of shows planned for you coming up, and you are going to get to hear it by saying right here, connectingvets.com slash listen is the link. I'm Eric Dame. He's Jake Hughes. We'll be back with IAVA right after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingBets.com. Connecting Bets every day. Super producer Jake Hughes here sitting in the driver's seat. And, folks, I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to keep reminding you until you do it, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Bets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And also visit the website, ConnectingVets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information. You'll know exactly when things pop off in the veteran community because we stay on top of that stuff, because we care about you, because we are you. We are the veteran community. Every single person who works at ConnectingVets.com knows what it's like to take that uniform off for the last time, except for our National Guards woman, but she's cool too. And anyway, so it's Monday, and you know what that means? It's the worst day of the week. No one wants to be here. But still, to brighten your day, we get to talk to Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, IAVA. And we are joined by, I, you're going to have to remind me, what is your title, Melissa Bryan from IAVA? Chief Policy Officer. Chief Policy Officer. And I wrote this one down. We are also joined by Patrice Sullivan, who is the Senior Veteran Transition Manager. Patrice, how are you? I am well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Now, there are a lot of things going on, but the big thing that we're going to talk about today is that September is Suicide Awareness Month. Yes, yeah, Suicide Su- Prevention. Suicide Awareness. Prevention Month. I apologize. Yes. Not make, just making you aware of suicide. We want to prevent suicide. <laughs> so how is IAVA working with suicide prevention this month? Well, 
IVA does, we want to put a spotlight on it for September. However, we work in suicide prevention all year round. It is the number one issue under our big six priorities, which I've talked about on this show. I'm probably ad nauseum to some people, (laughs) but uh, it is so critical to our community. We still have 20 of our brothers and sisters that we lose a day by suicide. And so we focus on that from an advocacy perspective, but from our other program, the Rapid Response Referral Program, we have our direct services. And I've talked a little about it before. I think Tom Porter, our legislative director, has talked about RIP before because uh, we call it RIP as in rip off the Band-Aid and, and you know, get into the work. But veterans of all eras are welcome to call in to IAVA and to uh, or fill in an online uh, intake form and talk to a master's level social worker who or a case manager who is able to walk you through any issue that you're having, whether you're having suicidal ideations or any of the issues that could be precursors to getting to that point. And so that's where Patrice is on the ground, talking with folks every day, doing really hard stuff. And, you know, Patrice comes from a background that makes us really near and dear to her. And I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Patrice, if you can talk more about your why you do this and why you, you came to IAVA. Um, absolutely. So, uh, first of all, I am a proud daughter of a Korean War veteran. Um, my father served, and then he, he finished up his service uh, with the National Guard. So, um, he served 23 years total. So, he, we've always had a respect for the military. Um, suicide prevention is so important to me because of my high school uh, sweetheart. So, uh, his name is Thomas. And we met in 1994. We dated for seven years through high school. Um, He enlisted in 2000 into the Marine Corps, and he served from 2000 to 2004. Uh, Got out as a sergeant. Um, You know, we didn't think we'd make it through four years of him deploying, but we did. And uh, he came home, and he struggled with transition. He, you know, he came home. He was like, I'm a sergeant in the Marine Corps, but here I can't even get a job. You know, I can't even get $10 an hour. And it was really hard on him. Um, I was at college at the time, finishing up my undergrad degree, and he was just trying to find his way where he belonged in his hometown as a civilian. Uh, It was really, really hard. And uh, so he he was out in June, and then in March of 2005, he died by suicide. Um, I'm sorry. And uh, thank you. Um, My whole world changed. And it has never, it, it will never be the same. And, um, you know, fast forward 13 and a half years, and here I am. So uh, I do this. I, I, I was brought to, you know, I looked to IAVA for this exact reason, is that the Clay Hunt Save Act, just, I did a, a research report, report on it in school, and I was just like, this is where I need to be. You know, I need transition manager. I need to help transition these veterans, you know, because this, this is so personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. no, and you're right. And we've talked at length here on the morning briefing and uh, all over ConnecticutVets.com about the struggles that people can face when they transition out of the military. And because it, it's not it's not just employment because anyone can get a job at Whataburger or Jack in the Box flipping right. burgers and stuff. But it's the problem of underemployment and that mm-hmm. feeling of and not having that feeling of belonging anymore. Right. So many of us were charged with multiple duties. You had that camaraderie with your troops and and, uh, your your sailors, your Marines, and 
uh, an airman and you you come out and you feel that sense of loss and it's not even so much that you're you know just maybe unemployed because right now in fact the numbers came out on Friday for the uh, uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and as we all know, unemployment is down, but underemployment is up. Underemployment is up for women uh, veterans, and so one of the things that we also talk about from the advocacy perspective is that we recognize that women veterans are at greater risk for death by suicide, and it's something that we need to ensure that we wrap our arms around our brothers and sisters who are struggling to find that sense of belonging, to find gainful employment. Not just to pay the bills, that's great, but also to get back to that feeling that we had when we were serving, when we felt like we were masters of the universe, even if within your own squad. Right. The, the feeling that, you know, not just the belonging, but the feeling of being in control of your own life. Exactly. And I'm actually like, I'm actually right now writing an article at my computer back there about a friend of mine that committed suicide when he transitioned out. And it's one of those things where you can really... <laughs> I, I don't want to say you can never know because there are precursors and there are signs, but at the same time, it's still, when you talk to the people who are survived by suicide victims, it always says, I had no idea. It was such a surprise. I right. thought things were going well. So I want to ask you, what do you think are some of the more common, uh, how am I trying to put this, common precursors? Like, what, what are these things that really stress these veterans out so much when they mm -hmm. get out? Well, I would say from our perspective, it's financial instability is probably the number one reason. And then, Patrice, you would say for particularly for those who call into the IAVA uh, RIP hotline. Um, and again, that's not just for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. It's veterans of all eras and also your families if you want to call on behalf of someone. Um, but I think financial instability and then the pieces that are around that is the number one issue that veterans face. Um but when you look at financial instability, it comes from, well, do they know their benefits? Have they had issues with access and barriers to care within the VA? Um, do veterans, we still run into people who don't know you're eligible for five years of VA health care when you separate, regardless of how you, uh, well, it's with the exception of, uh, oh, excuse me, up until last year, the exception of bad paper. That was rectified by former Secretary Shulkin. But you can still come in and reach someone in the VA and have mental health care. And then there's all sorts of resources like IAVA's rapid response referral program where you can come in and get the support that you need. But I, I think financial instability is the number one reason. Are there other factors, Patrice, for people who call in? I think it's the stigma. You know, every, every, a lot of people are just too proud to admit something is wrong. Um, yeah. And if they're go if there is something wrong, they're, they don't know who to talk to, who to trust. And that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, where, where do I go and am I going to be judged? Is this going to affect my job? Is it um, going to affect my clearance? Yeah. And that's another thing that oh, we yeah. know we run into with folks who are even currently serving. They're, they're just afraid still, even though there's been a huge campaign by all the services to say, if you're feeling it's okay to not be okay, if you're feeling a certain way and having suicidal ideations, let someone know. But I think that the stigma is still present. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, I mean, I'm answering my own question here. I'm being my own interview subject. It's great. Yeah. But um, because I have a friend right now who's going through some serious uh, mental health issues, and he is, in fact, being somewhat targeted by his command. Mm. And because there is some that, because you get. I'm not saying it's everyone, but you. there are units out there yes. where it is the good old boy system, where it's, you know, the quote-unquote old army or old mm -hmm. Marine Corps or whatever, 
where everyone's supposed to be this alpha male, chest pounding yep. leader. And when someone expresses that they are not okay, it's the thing of, well, you should just be able to suck it up and drive on. Let me give you an analogy for that. I used to, I, I when I was in command, one of the things that irritated me was when you had someone who was struggling with PT. And not that the, that person irritated me, but the attitude toward that person. In my opinion, from a command perspective, as long as you were working toward getting better, as long as you were working out with your squad leader, your NCO, even come to me. Like I used to run with troops all the time. I used to come to special PT all the time just to make sure that, hey, we're going to help you get into the 300 club or as close as possible. But I resented the idea of your PT stud and therefore you're exalted by everyone else. But then maybe you're looked down upon in the work that you do, whatever your actual MOS was. And I would always look at it as that's one part of your army career, but there's also other things that you bring to the table. And so I look at it the same way for mental health. And I can, what you're saying, unfortunately, harkens back to several soldiers, I think, back in throughout my experience and friends of mine who were afraid to speak up or when they did speak, they spoke in extreme confidence to me because they didn't want to be berated by others or judged by others because they were struggling. And Especially when we look at, you know, we're now 17 years into this and we're coming off of multiple deployments. Sadly, the command sergeant major who was killed in action earlier this week, he was on his 13th deployment. What do you think he felt after his 12th deployment? And how do you talk about that? How do you talk about that repatriation, even just coming back home, still serving, not transitioning, but he's still in the army. How do you cope with after being gone from your family and from your life 12 times? And I think it's that type of transition even. A lot of people think transition to civilian life, but it can just be like readjustment coming back from deployment that people struggle with too. And then it's not just, it, like we said, it's both of them. It's that, especially the people that, that do the, you know, the one and done type of military careers where they do their three or four years and then they get out. Right. They go to training. They go to Iraq, Afghanistan. They come back and then it's, okay, you're done. Bye-bye. Go home. Mm -hmm. And that stress can just... It can drive you mad, and it's it, it's a sad thing. It's a sad fact. So I'm going to know this rapid response referral program. If I were to call into you and say that I am considering suicide, what would what kind of support could I get from the RIP program? Well, we are all trained on a lot of suicide prevention um, certifications. So we have a relationship and a partnership with VCL Veteran Crisis Line. And we have a system where um, all of our team members are on this buddy system. Somebody calls in, we assess, we uh, will G-chat them for them to call or, you know, get in touch with them. They'll call VCL, explain the situation. We'll do um, a warm hand off depending on, you know, if they have a plan or whatever's going on and make sure that they're connected with somebody on the VCL staff and then do a warm hand off and, you know, they'll take it from there. But then we always make sure to follow up. So we'll follow up that day just to make sure the, the connection or if there's anything we can do to, to support and, you know, make sure we, we note it and we honestly let go to our team and conference it because that's, yeah. you know, it's it's jarring and it's uh, it's scary and we need to talk about it and how it, how it affects us. Yeah. And so and so it's an immediate handoff. It's not a, okay, we'll make this appointment and call absolutely you back. Not. The nope. warm handoff is absolutely critical. In fact, we have a mem uh, an MOU with a memorandum of understanding with the Veterans Crisis Line. 
And last year, when the Veterans Crisis Line was going through its own bit of crisis uh, with the rollback uh, situation, and uh, for, for the listeners who aren't familiar, but essentially uh, it was over 30% of calls were going to a backup service, and they weren't getting that person on the line. And so there was a congressional hearing, which uh, I personally testified at, um, with the um, VA OIG Inspector General to talk about what can we do to strengthen the Veterans Crisis Line. And since then, they have repaired the issues where those rollbacks were, were going to a backup call center. Now they're going to the VCL. And then where IAVA comes in is to ensure both from the policy standpoint that they are fully staffed and they have the suicide prevention folks that they need on the VA side in order to continue that mission. And then from IAVA standpoint, for those who either uh, fill in our online intake or call in to our rapid response referral program and saying, I'm thinking about harming myself now, we have that warm handoff. And again, as Patrice said, what we do is we circle back. We make sure that we follow up that day, the next day, and so forth and so on to ensure that whatever the issues were that were triggering you on that day, you're then resolving them because it could be you weren't getting access to benefits. You didn't have a job. Your wife or husband, uh, your, your marriage is on the rocks. Or your relationship is on the rocks. You're having issues with children. We deal with the gamut of, of issues. You're, you're not able to secure housing. We work with um, you know veterans if they're having issues where they're in deep debt or they're not able to secure um, any sort of permanent housing. So we, we run the gamut of the issues that we deal with that are the underlying causes of how you can get to that place where you feel hopeless. Okay. And uh, see, cause I have another friend. I keep talking about myself here. I apologize. I do have That's a friend. Okay. I have it's a free friend. Therapy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? This is great. <laughs> I don't even have to make a phone call. You, <laughs> you come here. to me. We it's just great. show up. That's how great IAVA is. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a friend of mine that uh, he called a hotline and they took a message. And you know, he didn't get a mess. He didn't get like a recording, but he called someone and they said, okay, we'll set you up at a point with this person, call back at this time. Yeah. And it's like, so you having this problem, you make the phone call and then you have to hang up and wait for, you may not be able to wait. Absolutely that, that not. problem might not be able to just hang on the line for two, three days before you can make an appointment. No. And this is why that warm handoff is critical. And that is something that, again, from the policy standpoint, my team and Steph Mullen, numbers are her jam, research director. She works very closely also with the Suicide Prevention Office with Dr. Kika Franklin, who heads that up at the VA, um, and a whole slew of other folks who work there where we make sure that they have what they need in order to staff calls. And we ensure that their procedures are, are wire tight so that when people come in, they're not left hanging. And then again, from our perspective, we will not leave you on the line. Like we will not drop that call. We will not stop any that in any point in time during that call. Once you've called into our line and you've reached Patrice or one of our other veteran transition managers, they are not going to hang up with you. We're going to stay on the line until we know for sure that VCL is on the other line as well. So if it takes three, four minutes, we're here listening. We're talking. We're making sure. You know, trying to. Do whatever we can to support and uh, until we get that, you know, go ahead, that VCL is ready and then we'll connect them and then we'll make sure, hey, VCL, you're on the line. Everybody's on the line. And then and then that's when we hang up. Or if the the veteran wants us to stay on, then we stay on. Yeah. But as many times they want an advocate from outside of VA. And so we're there for whatever the veteran wants to in ensure that that support is given. 
Well, it's amazing things that you are doing here at the uh, Rapid Response Referral Program from the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And once again, we were speaking with Melissa Melissa Bryant and Patrice Sullivan. Uh, so, uh, not to not that this is important, but there are other things going on, mm -hmm. and you know, life. That's one of the big things that we learn is that life continues, and uh, one of the big news events to come up in the past few weeks is the threats to the military lending act right now when i was a young e5 at fort hood and i had soldiers i used to tell them that if you're gonna make a purchase that costs more than half your base pay i have to be with you physically when you make that purchase that was to keep them from doing the typical soldier stuff mm -hmm. that they want to buy a camaro at 38 percent interest <laughs> with 500 a month for 20 years <laughs> and uh and but apparently there are now protections in place to keep that from happening but they may not be for much longer what can you tell me about that so the military lending act was a broad bipartisan uh piece of legislation that um that passed everyone recognized that we need those protections we help us help ourselves and we everyone knows that private schmuckatelli has gone off post um, their pockets are full of that deployment money, or maybe they haven't deployed yet, but this is their first time with a steady paycheck because they came from a background where financial literacy wasn't taught. And we know that that's a challenge within our military community, that we are particularly vulnerable to predatory lending. And so you go off post and you see this great deal and they're like, hey, you're going to pick up your Ford F-150 and it's only going to cost you, like you said, 36% because that's what the Military Lending Act caps at. 36%, <laughs> but then next thing you know, you have an eight-year loan and you're paying $500 for the next eight years and they're garnishing your wages and then people have to get involved and et cetera. And so that's being threatened because the uh, Mick Mulvaney, who is now the acting director of not just, he is currently the director of OMB, uh, the Office of uh, Management and Budget, but he's also the director of the Consumer Finance Protection Board right now. And the CFPB manages the Military Lending Act. They enforce it. They go after predatory lenders. And right now he's saying that we're just not going to enforce that. Uh, in have, a they, have they said why they're not going to enforce it anymore? Efficiencies, et cetera, et cetera. If it, if, and so, you know. I could that, say something, <laughs> but I'll keep my mouth shut. I, I'm going to just, yeah, I, I won't editorialize. But the answer was, you know, that, that's, that they're no longer going to enforce that. That it, It's being done. So we know that we can't leave that up to trust. And so uh, IAVA with Veterans Education Success and uh, at least a dozen other VSOs and MSOs have partnered together to ensure that the Military Lending Act is protected and enforced. Uh, we've seen recently that a lot of representatives on the Hill are getting wind of this. They're now getting involved. We put out full-page ads in multiple news sources that went out uh, last week in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, New York Times, et cetera, where we want to get the word out about the Military Lending Act. One, so that service members know that you don't have to sign on to that 45% loan uh, if they don't have a good you know, squad leader or, or, or uh, you know, NCO looking out for them like you were. But two, that... We need to let Congress know that we are a vulnerable population. You know, less than 10% or around 10% of Congress has served at this point. And so they don't recognize that we are vulnerable and we need those protections in place. And like I talked about before with suicide prevention, it is all related because that financial instability is something that we know is a trigger for uh, suicidal ideation. Uh, for both troops and veterans. That 20 veterans a day that die by suicide, that in includes active duty, reserve, guard, and veterans. And so this means that it's a total vulnerable population. And another potential fallout of 
getting into financial messiness, if you will, is a loss of a clearance. Whether you're a uh, active duty or, or guard reserve um, and, and working in a position where you require clearance, clearance, or if you're working, let's say, as a DOD civilian, because what, 47% of DOD civilians are uh, vets and one third of the VA are vets. And so you could have a job that could be impacted by your financial instability. Right. And, and so that's what the Military Lending Act is there to help you out of. And it's not just, you know, people think, oh, it's just it's stupid people should do stupid things. It's not being stupid. It's not having the experience. I mean, right. well, I remember when I was a, when I first came in, E Fuzzy Hughes, you know, <laughs> I was in there and uh, I got my first paycheck, which I think was like, six seven hundred dollars and i was like my mind blew <laughs> like i have all this money to spend on myself oh my gosh i was buying people cartons of cigarettes i was buying <laughs> dvds at the you're the most PX. popular guy in the barracks <laughs> yeah oh, oh yeah i was like hey you're, you're pretty cool here here's you know here's a carton of cigarettes have fun with that yeah i was like the guy in prison that you're supposed IV to know does that, not endorse smoking cigarettes <laughs> exactly and neither do i i worked very hard to quit so everyone should quit anyway but yeah, it's just you don't have that experience, and so if you don't have the the hawkish leadership that like I provided, then you could get caught up in this stuff, and def- and it really makes me feel good that IAVA is taking this so seriously. Absolutely, we know that this is something where that that fraud protection is absolutely critical for our population, and it's for payday lenders. Look, we I can understand that for our population, you may not like even though that six seven hundred dollars was a lot of money to you when you were an E nothing. By the time you may have been an E five, you had a wife and uh, a family, and you had to take care of them. And then that six seven hundred dollars, maybe up to about you know nine one thousand dollars, is isn't enough. And so you say, all right, I'm going to take out a payday loan, and then it becomes a slippery slope yep. of getting into trouble and getting into debt. And so we need these protections. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's just like for the GI Bill and IVA fights against any cuts to the GI Bill or any cuts to benefits. We see the same thing for the Military Lending Act. Okay, we're running short on time. I know there's one more thing you want to get to, and it's your petition for the GI Bill transferability. Absolutely. Tell me about that. And so that's still running right now. If you go on change.org, there is an IAVA petition uh, for going to Secretary Mattis, ensuring that the transferability of the GI Bill, I've talked about it before, but if you've been serving for 16 years or more, after next year, you will not be able to transfer your unused benefits to your dependents. That's a problem. You were promised with the forever GI Bill last year that you had it in perpetuity and that you could transfer it for the for however long you needed to. So we want to protect that. We want to tell Secretary Magnus to protect that. Please, we're at 47,000 signatures now. We want to get to 50. So over this weekend, go ahead or over the next week, go ahead and make sure that you sign that uh, position on change.org. If you go to any of IAVA social channels, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you'll see a link to that. Petition. Okay, and when when Secretary Mattis says he's going to do something, he'll he'll f and send you to Afghanistan. That's if right. Him. No, exactly. Just like spicy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if people want to learn more about the amazing things that IABA is doing for veterans of this great nation, where do they go? You go to IABA.org. Again, follow us on any of our social channels: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets.
Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform, and just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off that very last time. And so we work hard every day to bring you the information you need on benefits available to you, on programs that can help you thrive after you leave the military, and we're doing it all at ConnectingVets.com. And of course, you can follow us on social media to be kept abreast of the latest and greatest things that we're doing. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is a veteran of the United States Army serving for over three decades, who is now the Executive Vice President of Melwood Veteran Services, LLC. We're going to talk about some really interesting events that they have coming up and, of course, talk to him about his career and transition from the military. He is David Blackledge. David, good morning. How are you today? Morning. How are you, Eric? I'm doing very well. So as I mentioned, over three decades serving as an officer in the United States Army, that's a very long time. If someone comes up to you and says, sum up your Army career for me, what do you tell that person? What do you think you gained from serving in the Army for nearly 40 years? Wow. <clears throat> well, I uh, gained the uh, <clears throat> the great satisfaction of serving my country and uh working with uh, just amazing uh, men and women in the armed services. And it, it was just, uh, those are the kind of memories that you remember, the, the relationships you make and the, the people you work with. When it came time to leave after 37 years of service, both on active duty and in the reserves, uh, rising to great ranks, serving as an officer, graduate of West Point, I mean, this was your life for a very long period of time. What do you remember about that period of time where you realized this is coming to an end and I'm putting on this uniform for not much longer? That, that was, uh, I knew it was going to be difficult, but it was uh, much more, <laughs> more, more difficult than I anticipated that transition was was tough the, you know you, after serving for that long and you realize that that as you say it's been been my life and now uh, a new chapter's beginning and that, that transition wasn't easy it's, it's still not easy of course, you were a general officer in the United States Army, finishing up your time serving in the reserves. I think for most of us, we think of someone who's got, uh, whether it's the eagle on their shoulder or some stars up there, an admiral, a general, we think that person's going to be pretty well set. Was that the case for you, or was there some difficulty when it came time to, to transition into the civilian world full-time? Yeah, it uh, it, it was uh, a bit challenging. It, the Part of the complication was uh, my wife is... Uh, career military. She's uh, now now retired uh, uh, Air Force critical care nurse. And so uh, when I retired out of Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, I went down. She was still on active duty uh, at uh, Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. So I went down and, and joined her for the last uh, three years of her uh, her active duty service. Um, and frankly, I got down there and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just kind of chilled out for about six months and then, uh, got stir crazy. <laughs> okay. Got, got to find something to do. Um, and, uh, was able to find a, a job at a local college, uh, on the Gulf coast there. Uh, they had a, a really neat, uh, nature preserve with, uh, 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 challenge world scores, challenge facilities and uh, whatnot. And it's like, okay, well, here's a job I can do. Uh, both inside and outside, because I was not relishing uh, sitting behind a desk all day 
after uh, being in the military where you spent so much time outside. Right. So that, that, that helped. Um, but, uh, but then once she got out, it was like, okay, well now what do we do? <laughs> and I, I grew up in the military. So, uh, and went to West Point when I was 17. And, uh, so although I did have, uh, reserve time, I was on active duty for, for a while and I went into the reserve and, was you know on on again off again there and then once nine eleven happened I was uh, called back up and pretty much served the rest of the time on on active duty so uh, yeah it was like okay wow there's a big world out there that uh, we got to explore and of course that exploration led you eventually to Melwood Veterans Services they have a really interesting thing coming up called Operation Tohidu it's a holistic retreat focusing on helping veterans manage their invisible wounds such as depression and PTSD uh, how did you first come to become part of that organization David what brought you to Melwood Veterans Services well that's, that's a, a great story Eric because uh, while I was I'm an alumnus of uh, Wounded Warrior Project so I had that uh, done various things with uh, the Wounded Warrior Project for they have various programs and and um, so when I was uh, the director of the uh, the uh, uh, Nature Preserve Center there at uh, on the Gulf Coast um, I contacted Wounded Warrior Project and and uh, we ended up hosting uh, their Project Odyssey retreats uh, down at, at my facility and initially they said well you know we'll come down and check it out and when they saw what a great facility we had. Uh, we, we ended up doing about uh, one retreat a month, and it was great. And, I, and of course, I was also serving college students and uh, members of the community and, and whatnot, but I realized that, gosh, my heart's really in. I really look forward to every time the veterans come in. And uh, I was also did a similar thing with the uh, – uh, Biloxi has a huge uh, VA center, and uh, – through uh, University of Southern Mississippi's Institute for Disability Studies, they were working with uh, uh, veterans there, and so we started hosting uh, uh, one-day events where they would come to my center and we'd take them out kayaking or or uh, on the ropes course. And and uh, one thing I love about kayaking is even if you have mobility issues, when you get people out on the water like that, everybody everybody's the same. You're all in a boat. You get freedom. Um, so anyway, long story short. Um, uh, we start having children, grandchildren come along up in uh, southern Delaware and uh, in southeastern Pennsylvania. And my wife goes, well, you know, we're too, way too far away from the grandchildren uh, down here on the Gulf Coast. Uh, can you find something up closer to, you know, that area? And I, I had to laugh because uh, when, I, when my wife and I both left our assignments at the Pentagon, I swore I'd never go back there. <laughs> oh, I can't, can't take the traffic and everything else, but... Um, I said, well, sure. There's nothing really uh, holding us to the, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, so let's uh, let me look. So I I started a job search, and uh, this this uh, position at Melwood popped up on my radar screen. And I when I read the job description, it, you know, it's like I could not write a job description for myself that uh, better fits what I want to do. And and uh, long story short, uh, I'm now in, uh, in Maryland and and uh, working for Melwood Veteran Services. I just uh, just loving it. Of course, you have to work with veterans and help veterans every day. You're the executive vice president of Melwood Veteran Services. Melwood, as an organization, has uh, quite a few programs helping people of different uh, abilities and different types find jobs. What are some of the specific things that Melwood does for veterans? If a vet comes up to you and says, hey, General Blackledge, I want to know what your organization is doing to help veterans, what do you tell that person? 
Yeah, so um, obviously uh, Mel- Melwood has been around for 55 years, and uh, you know it helps people with differing abilities, which in- includes uh, veterans. Um, so, uh, the, and the the whole goal for for Melwood is to help uh, folks with differing abilities uh, achieve a fulfilling life, whether that's uh, in the workplace. So we we have a huge workforce uh, within Melwood ourselves, um, and then we also um, help uh, folks find jobs. And, and so Melwood Veteran Services uh, specifically helps uh, veterans with uh, that are looking for employment, looking to transition employment, uh, looking to are, are transitioning out of the, the military and, and uh, trying to f- navigate the whole world of, uh, gee, I, I got to find something to do. So we, we help them translate their military skills into, into civilian speak. Um, uh, we uh, help them with resumes. We help them with uh, interviewing skills, uh, Addressing for interviews, uh, we, we've uh, uh, also you know, actually given clothes to veterans. I hear, you know, where where this? Let's get you set up for this interview uh, properly. We, if uh, if veterans have uh, uh, home situations where the, we've had folks that are homeless or about to be homeless or other uh, situations where if we got them a job on Monday, they wouldn't be able to keep it because they, of their their home situation or transportation or whatever, we uh, partner with other organizations in the area to uh, to meet those needs so that uh, we can, uh, you know, when we do uh, place them in a position or, or set them up for interviews, then uh, they're, they're set up for success. So so we do that. Um, and then obviously uh, you had alluded to our Operation Tahidu program, which is uh, specifically for veterans that are struggling with uh, service-related trauma issues. And that that can be uh, uh, post-traumatic stress. It, it does not have to be a formal diagnosis of PTSD. Um, it could be depression, anxiety, um, the after effects of military sexual trauma. Uh, you know, we don't we don't define what the trauma that they experienced uh, on uh, during their service. Uh, we just try to help them, and we don't. It does the trauma does not have to be uh, experienced when they're on deployment or in combat. Everybody knows that uh, the military is a hazardous profession and uh, and uh, traumatic things happen uh, in various places um, we also uh, <clears throat> uh, serve veterans of all eras so you don't have to be a post a post 9-11 uh, veteran uh, we we've served uh, vietnam veterans and and cold war veterans and gulf war veterans so we uh we we, we also don't uh, the other things we don't uh discriminate uh based on the manner of your uh, service or your discharge. So, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to have an honorable discharge um, to, to reap the benefits of our program. If, right. if you served and, and you're experiencing service-related trauma or you're looking for employment, we're here to help you. That's certainly an interesting thing, and there are many programs out there, but quite a few of them, it is dependent on the level of your discharge. If you have uh, anything below uh, a a general discharge, if you have an other-than-honorable or worse discharge, uh, you're not eligible for a lot of these programs, but you're likely still dealing with some of the same things if you've suffered uh, a similar type of trauma. How important do you think it is to address things like PTSD and like, uh, you know, the, the the stresses that people face, whether in combat or elsewhere while serving in the military? How important do you think it is to address those in conjunction with things like providing job services because of the overall effect it can have on how you live your life and some of the problems you may have in keeping employment if you're not in the right space mentally? It, it, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, they, they go hand in hand. You're not, 
you're not going to be able to uh, maintain your job or, or get the benefits and uh, fulfillment of uh, of your job and, and just you know, living life uh, at the fullest if if you're dealing with uh, the various issues from trauma related um, issues, whether that's um, mild traumatic brain injury, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, you know, sleep issues, whatnot. It affects your whole quality of life, and obviously, it uh, has an impact on your employment. Um, and uh, we, we work with employers too to try to educate them on. Uh, there's a lot of myths out there about, uh, well, gosh, if I uh, hire a veteran with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, what you know, what can I expect? Or, so uh, we help them understand what what those are and and uh, and how to to work with with those kind of things. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, as uh, you know, and your audience certainly knows, uh, uh, suicide is a, a, a terrible issue uh, for our, our military men and women, and and uh, you know that's kind of the ultimate uh, disaster. That things kind of spiral to that point. So uh, there's any, anything we can do to to uh, prevent that. One one of the hallmarks of our programs. One of the things that uh, you know I I, I have. Uh, I was wounded twice on successive tours in Iraq. I, I have post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. Um, I suffered mild traumatic brain injuries during uh, during both those events, um, and uh, so I've, I've I sought uh, mental health and really helped me. And and uh, one thing that really stuck with me that I I take forward in the program at Mellow Veteran Services and something my therapist told me when I was leaving Fort Bragg for the last time. And, um, she said, uh, you know, Dave, you, you've spent your life uh, serving your country um, and uh, preserving uh, uh, liberty at, at you know, close to the cost of your life. Now, uh, now go pursue that other right, and that's the pursuit of happiness. And uh, that's the message I, I give to the veterans that come through our programs, and they often lose track of that, that, that they have a right not, not only – is it okay to be happy? They have an absolute right to be happy and pursue that happiness. And so what we try to do with our various programs is to, to help them on that road. We're speaking with retired Army General David Blackledge. He's currently the executive vice president of Melwood Veterans Services, speaking about their Operation Tohidu, which is a holistic retreat focusing on helping veterans manage invisible wounds such as depression and PTSD, a program run by veterans and for veterans. What exactly is entailed by this uh, within this holistic repeat? Let me say that again. What exactly takes place during this holistic retreat? Because I think there are some people who hear the word holistic and they think of you know someone wearing a, a tie-dye shirt dancing around and uh, and waving crystals in the air but that's not what this is about right yeah that's only one part of our uh, program no just, just <laughs> kidding uh, yeah the um one of the things well first of all we, we have a beautiful uh, uh retreat and recreation center down in uh, the forest of southern maryland it's a 108 acre facility um we have uh, equestrian activities we've got stables and horses we have uh uh, various challenge courses. Um, we have uh, uh, kayaking activities and uh, some beautiful cabins there in the woods. So it's a it's a very peaceful uh, place to go. Um, and I, I'm a full believer in uh, if you can be out in nature, that that, that is therapeutic in itself. Um, but it's not uh, a retreat is a bit of a misnomer because uh, we keep folks uh, pretty busy when when we they get there. And one of the things that um, uh, we try to do is expose them to, to various uh, modalities of, of treatment that can help them with their uh, symptoms. Um, 
all of which have proven to help be helpful for some people with uh, trauma-related issues, uh, none of which um, are helpful for everybody. So um, you know, if you take uh, post-traumatic stress uh, as an example, there's there's it's such a complicated issue that uh, you know yoga may help one person, whereas uh, another person that yoga doesn't do anything, and uh, acupuncture may help somebody, but it may not help somebody else. So we expose them to, to different things. One, being out in nature, um, being physical. We we uh, we do uh, we're active, and uh, and it's challenged by choice. So obviously, uh, things are adapted for each individual's capabilities, and. Um, we we uh, typically start every morning with either uh, yoga or tai chi, um, both of uh, which uh, folks really tend to, to love by the end of the the week. Um, the uh, then we we get them out, we get them moving. Um, we do uh, some some introspective activities. We do uh, various um, art therapy pieces uh, interspersed there. So it's it's got. We start off the week um, having folks take uh, small risks, both uh, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and then we build on those um, as the week goes on. So that they're, we we kind of we ask them to to kind of step out of their comfort zone. A lot of folks uh, with these issues have, have isolated themselves uh, at home, and and so we we help them uh, work through. Uh, you know, how do you develop a support network? What does that look like? How, how do you um, you know, get yourself out of the house, uh, get active, uh, become social. Um, we uh, we do some. We talk about it. We we help them understand what what's going on uh, with them, um, with the various uh, stress uh, or trauma related issues. Um, so it's both psycho uh, education as well as uh, active experiential activities. And, of course, there are several scheduled upcoming retreats. There's one starting in just a few days here, September 10th to 14th. That's a couple's session. September 24th to 28th, the women's session. Men's session, October 8th to 12th. Uh, some others coming up, October, November, December. Is this something that Melwood Veteran Services offers throughout the year? And if so, how do people go about contacting uh, your organization and trying to get more information or even signing up for one of these treat- retreats that, as I understand, don't cost them anything? Right. Yeah, that's a key point, Eric. Uh, all our services are, are um, at no cost to the veterans themselves. The um, We do offer retreats uh, pretty much uh, throughout the year. Um, uh, the, the fall is, and the spring are heavy. We, this fall, as you said, we're pretty much doing about one retreat, uh, two or two retreats a month. Um, and, uh, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that uh, we do have uh, different retreats uh, for different audiences. So uh, the, the one coming up Next week is a couples retreat where either one or both uh, uh, partners are uh, service members uh, dealing with uh, service-related trauma issues, uh, and uh, those those are great retreats because it's it's one thing to to help the veteran uh, uh, through this process, the retreat process, um, but oftentimes if they go home and their their uh, significant other doesn't understand what what they've been through, what they've learned, and the things they're trying, it's hard to to support them. So if we can get if we can get that. Uh, both partners through the program, uh, they, they go home uh, really fired up and, and knowing how to how to help each other. 
then obviously we have uh, uh, men-specific retreats uh, and uh, specific retreats for women veterans. Um, the uh, the women's veterans retreats have been a huge success, and uh, the demand has been amazing, uh, which which speaks a lot to uh, the fact that uh, uh, women veterans uh, are a population that are have not been adequately served by. Uh, all the various programs um, that are out there, and uh, so we're we're helping to fill that gap. Uh, we've also noticed uh, that uh, we're getting quite a few uh, folks uh, through with uh, that have experienced military sexual trauma, specifically for uh, survivors of MST. Um, to to get to your point, if if folks want to uh, look into this and uh, want to sign up, uh, they can go to our web- website uh, www.melwood.org. It's uh, M-E-L-W-O-O-D dot org and, uh, and click on the uh, Veteran Services tab and it'll take you to there. And at the, the bottom of that, that uh, Veteran Services page is uh, an application uh, button. You just click on that button and, and the application comes out and it's all done online. Obviously, there's contact information. They can, uh, they can call or, or email uh, uh, myself or any other uh, uh, veteran staff that uh, – in Melwood Veteran Services, and we can help them through the process. Well, we've been speaking with David Blackledge, retired United States Army General and now Executive Vice President of Melwood Veteran Services. David, thank you not just for your 37 years serving in uniform, but also the fact that you're continuing to serve your fellow veterans through the Melwood Veteran Services is truly amazing. And thank you so much for the work that you and your team are doing over there. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. And thank you for what you're doing. And, uh, and help them to get the word out for everyone. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Jake, when you hear General Blackledge talking about the holistic treatment that Melwood Veteran Services offers, it, it sounds like a pretty good deal. I mean, it's a free deal, so obviously it's a good deal, but that word holistic, does that ever give you pause when you hear that? Yes, it does, because when I hear the term holistic, I know it's not necessarily the right entomology of the word etymology, right? Not that's the way. That's the word, right? Etymology. Etymology. Yeah. Yeah. Etymology of the word. But I always think of the. Well, you gotta use the crystals and all this stuff from Mother Earth, man. <laughs> you know. But I know that it actually means something completely different. I just that's the first thing that pops in my head. And and it over the years it's become the word that we associate with. <laughs> you know, someone wearing like a daishiki and coming around again with crystals and burning sage. We had a tenant at my last house that would burn sage to like cleanse spirits and stuff. And it stunk. That's all it did. (laughs) There were no spirits being cleansed. If there were spirits there, they were just like, wow, this stuff smells like garbage. Why are you doing this? Um, Yes. But the reality is holistic just means they're not using medication, essentially. It means medication and surgery-free treatment. That's what holistic comes down to. And what they're doing at Melwood Veteran Services and a number of other organizations is trying to find ways that don't lead to, oh, I don't know, let's say opioid addiction, something that we have a significant problem with in this country in general, as well as just in the United States military and veteran community. If you can find a way like getting outdoors like they're doing and like so many others are doing, 
that can help you just as much, if not more, than those medications. Obviously, there are things that you need to be medicated for uh, in certain conditions that it's absolutely a necessity. But there are other things that you can do to assist with those medication or in place of them if the medication's not all that necessary. Right. And a lot of it is just getting outside and breathing that fresh air, finding a team to be a part of. That's a big thing we keep hearing about over and over again. It's just a huge thing. And when you have a retired general who sees a program that he believes in enough to get involved in as strong as uh, General Blackledge has with Melwood Veteran Services, uh, it gives you a pretty good idea of what they're all about. It does. And when you hear about things like this, other things like Boulder Crest Retreat and all these different places that are just trying to get veterans out of their own heads, you know, like just get them out of their apartments and stop them from stewing in their own. And this sounds bad, but stewing in their own issues. And this is something I I have a problem with myself. So maybe I need to look into some of this stuff. But uh, it's just it's just great to get them out there out in the open and just sort of open things up, you know? Yeah, just open up those doors. They're thinking outside the box to get veterans outside of their own heads, and we appreciate each and every one of those organizations that's doing things the right way, and we appreciate the General's time, and of course, we also appreciate Melissa Bryant from IAVA. They join us every Monday for Tuesday's show. We're going to have Justin Brown of Hill Vets here, and we're going to talk to Lex McMahon. Lex McMahon is the Chief Operating Officer of Titan Fighting Championships. He's also the adopted son of Ed McMahon. Hey, we're going to have him on here talking about his dad, talking about that experience, talking about how he went from being an enlisted Marine combat veteran and is now wearing a three-piece suit as an executive for one of the largest fighting championship organizations in the country. That's coming up on the Tuesday edition of the show. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.